Hey, just a note before we get to the show. We've been doing this since 2016, and we think it's time for us to take it to the next level. So we're going to be doing a live Edible Alpha here in Madison on April 1st. And I'm really excited because we're going to be taping interviews live. Paul Willis, the founder of Nyman Ranch Meats, is coming. The founder of Iroquois Valley Farmland REIT, Dave Miller is coming. We're going to also be having some young up-and-coming entrepreneurs, Mike Costello and Amy Dawson from Lost Creek Farm. There are going to be lots of ways to join us. One way is coming on an airplane and joining the live event. Another way is in the future, the podcast interviews that we tape live, we're going to have on our show. And we're also going to make it possible to do viewing parties. So if you want to get a bunch of people together and watch all of this, you're going to be able to do that around the country. If you're interested in doing any of that, uh, reach out to the Food Finance Institute or Edible Alpha, get in contact with us and we'll get back to you and help you organize your event. And now on to our show. Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Allie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Why don't you start by um, introducing yourself and what you're up to? Sure. So my name is Allie Ball, and I am the creator of Retail Ready and the host of the Food Biz Wiz podcast. So my background is in grocery buying. I was a grocery buyer for a long time here in San Francisco at Buy Right Market. And I, my role was, you know, as you know, finding products for our shelves and making sure that we had really high sales once I brought them in. And I, I loved that role. I, I loved connecting with producers. I loved seeing what was up and coming in the industry. I loved I loved having high sales. I love like selling products through. And I did that for years. We decided to open a second location by right to visit Arrow about three miles away. And I became head of grocery and store manager of the new store. I did that for, for a while and realized I really missed working with producers. So I left Byright almost six years ago at this point and started a consulting business helping producers with their wholesale strategy. So I primarily do it through Retail Ready, my online course, and then a little bit of one-on-one consulting as well. Cool. So Buy Right, let's let's go back to Buy Right and talk yeah. a little bit about Buy Right. So um, for people who aren't familiar with Buy Right, what, what kind of a store is it? Yeah, Buy Right is a really special place. So it has been in the same family since 1940, Mm. And it is a specialty market. Now there's two markets and there's actually two markets and an ice cream store called Byright Creamery. There's an educational branch. There's catering. I mean, they've, they've really built it out. Yeah, it's a huge, huge business. But when I started, it was, let's see, um, 2008, 2009. Mm. And specialty food, natural product industry was really just hitting its its stride. So Byright is a tiny store. It's about 3,000 square feet, and it does 
huge, huge business. It's actually mm-hmm. been cited as as one of the you know the highest uh, revenue per square foot in in grocery in the United States. So, Whoa. for example, yeah, I mean it's it's really really wild. So, where is it? it? Is, so it's in San Francisco. The original location is in San Francisco in the Mission District. Mm. Um, and the new store, like I said, is about about three miles away on Divisadero, which is a little bit further west in the city. Got it. Yeah. So it's one of those specialty stores where it has a really, really loyal following of neighbors and regulars who come in and do all of their shopping there. You know, it's got mm. a really great butcher counter fantastic prepared foods, wonderful farm direct produce relationship, and of course, lots of really great specialty grocery. Um, and then it's also, a, you know, it's a, it's a total tourist destination. Hmm. People come from all over the world to see what's going on at Byright Market and what new, what new items are on the shelves and, you know, what, what um, relationships Byright's built. So it's it's very very special. It sounds like it, and and yeah. a lot of tour. The Mission District is uh, yeah yeah a lot of tourists it's there. A lot of tourists, and mm-hmm. it's interesting. So so I I live in the Mission District. I yeah. lived in in this apartment for ten years, and ten years ago, the Mission wasn't really on the tourist map. Like mm. literally, the map would cut off at Market Street, mm-hmm. and the Mission is, is you know it's south of Market, and um. It's really been incredible to watch this neighborhood change over the past 10 years and um, and see more and more tourists realize that that this is San Francisco, you know, the the neighborhoods that people live in and the the parks that we go to. And, you know, it's, it's very different than the uh, than Fisherman's Wharf, which is typically traditionally the tourist destination. Right, right. And it sounds like Byright was kind of early in the in the um, whole um, sourcing direct from farmers and that. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, so Sam, Sam Oganum is the owner of Byright and mm-hmm. he, his dad and his uncle started it in 1940. And as you can imagine, in 1940, they did not <laughs> sell beautiful produce and, you know, wonderful, wonderful cuts of meat it really was more foods and cigarettes and you know your typical grocery store or like corner store in the 40s Mm -hmm. and um and sam went to culinary school came back to san francisco and actually opened a restaurant in in downtown san francisco and ran that for a couple years and his dad really wanted him to take over the market and and Sam was young. He was in his like early twenties at this point. And Sam said, "You know, Dad, like I, I will, I will come and take over this market, but I'll only do it if I can do it my way." And hmm. so the dad said yes. And in 1998, Sam took over by right from his dad and his uncle, and you know, brought in a really big butcher counter, um, started doing the prepared foods started nurturing those farm direct relationships that he had from his restaurant and really, really like revamped Byright, you know, into a, a much more similar version as, as what it is today. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and, and so specialty, natural category, have they always yeah. sort of thought of themselves as specialty? You know, I think it's a really, it's, I, th- I think that's a, it's a really great question, Tara, because 
when I was there, it, it was very much specialty. But knowing that San Francisco is filled with cooks. So while it was a place where you could find, you know, fresh truffles and olio nuovo and salt-packed sardines and all of these, or excuse me, salt-packed anchovies and these, you know, really wonderful chefy type ingredients. It also is a place that that lots of people do their regular shopping. You know, mm-hmm. you can still find Nature's Path Heritage Flakes on the shelves and, you know, um, really, you know, the Cheerios when I was working there, things like that. Right. So it was a really interesting balance between what we typically call specialty mm-hmm. and more of the, the natural channel. Um, right. And I was, I loved seeing that balance and it was something that we were, we were really thoughtful about. I'm sure they, they still are very thoughtful about it, making sure that it's the right combination of new, exciting, up-and-coming products and products that people want to buy and want to stock their pantry with. And, you know, you you want to be able to offer that guest the experience of coming in and shopping for everything they need in the week. And so if that means that they've got to carry nature's fast cereal, then they're going to do it. Right. right? Right. Well, and to hear you talk, it's such a great window into what a buyer does, because I think a lot of food entrepreneurs have really no idea what a buyer does, right? Yeah. 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 So which leads you to... (laughs) You want to talk about that? Retail ready. I do. I do, because I think it... Yeah, Yeah. no, because I think it leads into retail ready, right? It's... um, So yeah, yeah, what, what, what is a buyer... What did you do when you were there? Yeah, so I'll I'll give a little disclaimer and say that Byright is such a special place, and I was really fortunate to have a buyer role that gave me the time and flexibility to connect and nurture emerging brands, and that that doesn't really happen like right. in in normal grocery stores. Right. So I had this really fantastic role where I was able to say meet a producer at the farmers market or you know um, connect with someone at a trade show or or something like a really really young brand and they would come into Byright and they would pitch their product to me and I had the capacity to nurture them and tell them, you know, how they might change their packaging or how we could shift their pricing so we could capture more sales or how they can, you know, narrow down their their assortment and, you know, really work with three SKUs instead of the seven that they were originally mm-hmm. p- pitching or, you know, whatever it was. I, I Byright gave me the bandwidth and the capacity to do that. And that that is really, really special. And that was that is so key to to what I do now. Right. But in a traditional mm-hmm. buyer role, buyers don't do that. At the end of the day, like a buyer's responsibility is choosing products for the shelf and ensuring that those categories that they manage have really high sales. And and that's it, right? Um, a buyer's success is measured on sales performance or some sort of financial measure, whether that's you know how how much margin they they have in a category or how much spoilage they have in the category or you know whatever mm-hmm. whatever it is. 
And so I think one of the one of the things that I see producers struggle with is failing to realize why a buyer makes the decisions that they do. And producers think that just because they have a really fantastic product, just because they have a really delicious product, or just because they have a product that is, you know, uh, mission-driven, a business that's mission-driven, that a buyer would want to stock their product. And, And that's not necessarily true. And I think that that's, Tara, that's where a lot of uh, a lot of my clients and a lot of retail ready students get stuck because they think just because they have a wonderful product line means that they're going to have success in retail, and that's just not true. Right, and even if they have a product that could potentially have success at retail, they don't. They haven't evolved how they speak with the buyer to to mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. to convey what it is that that product could do for the category or for you know yeah. to increase sales in Ex- there right they're not speaking exactly. that way yeah exactly and it's it is i mean i think about myself before so i worked it with uh i worked in tech before i came into the food industry mm-hmm. and i worked for a company that did corporate team building and management training and for like big, big companies like Google and Genentech and Yahoo and things like that. And one of the reasons why they hired me at Byright was because of my people skills and my, my management development skills and being the ability to lead a team. Mm-hmm. But what I, what they what they realized was that they could train me on all of the grocery stuff. But I remember sitting in those meetings early on It was me. And like, I'll be honest, it was like three middle-aged white dudes and me. And I was like, you know, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I was so lost. I remember sitting in my first category review and not understanding, you know, half of the words that were coming out of my colleague's mouth. Because the the vocab around wholesale and the vocab around grocery is, is it was totally foreign. So I think you're right there, Tara. That that producers don't know don't know how to speak the language of buyers. They don't know what they're getting into. They don't know how to craft these pitches that are of any interest to wholesale buyers. And it's a learned language. It's something that you know producers. Producers can get there. They just have to figure out. They have to have you know someone act as their guide and someone to help them learn that that foreign language of wholesale. Yep, totally agree. So, category yeah. review. What's a category review? Yeah. So a category review is something that happens in grocery where the the buyer or the you know the buyer team decides a really specific schedule for assessing each category in the store. So a category is just a a grouping of like products. So it might be um, alternative milks, which would include like your oat milk and your nut milks and seed milks and things like that. Or it could be cereal and granolas would be another category or confection. So whatever grouping your product is in is your category. And that's really important to know because there are when we think about buyers and buyer behavior, most buyers manage a particular set of categories. So annually, a store will sit down or the buying team will sit down and they will say, we want to review the confections category in, 
and I'm just making this up, in April and August this year. And that is crucial for producers to know because it means that's when the buyer is assessing what products they're going to discontinue in that category and what new products they're going to bring in. And so as a producer, you've got to know what that category review schedule is so that you can be pitching at the pitching and then following up at the appropriate time on the in the calendar. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and I I think another piece that this um brings up is the is sort of the mental thought that wow if they bring me in they got to take somebody else out right like these stores have a limited space right yes absolutely and i'm glad that you brought that up uh, brought that up and i think two things here one you're you're absolutely right in thinking that the a metro shelf has only so many facings right and so every single slot on that shelf has to be a moneymaker or has to do something for the category, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we think about a buyer bringing in new products, it can't, and we think about those buyer goals that I talked about, this idea that the, that the buyer's performance is, is based on sales or financials or some, you know, something about the success of the category, that buyer can't just do a one-for-one one swap with product. So say, for example, you make um, a strawberry jam. I always use this example because it's really basic, but say you make a strawberry jam and you want that buyer to bring you in, in the jam and marmalade category. And that buyer is convinced they're, you know, all fired up about your brand and they swap you out for a grape jam on the, a grape jelly on the shelf. Unless your strawberry jam sells more than that grape jelly did, the buyer hasn't met their category goals, right? It can't be a one-for-one swap here. What Mm -hmm. we would need is that strawberry jam, your strawberry jam, to actually outpace sales of the grape jelly so that at the end of the day, it was worth it for that buyer to spend all that time to bring in your product. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So when you think about it from that perspective, being a buyer is actually kind of a hard job. I I know all roles in the food industry are hard. Like that Mm -hmm. is inevitable. The food industry is a hard, hard industry. But I will say, I think the buyer role is particularly challenging from because of a few different things. But one of them is is really the the idea that you have to place educated bets bets all day long mm-hmm. and and really try to try to boost those categories based off gut feelings and based off that that buyer intuition which is a a really magical thing right and so it's, it's funny Tara I'm at this when you know five years into buy right I could have a producer walk in the door and show me their product, and I would know within seconds whether or not it would succeed on the shelf or not. There's mm-hmm. just a, that, that buyer intuition that, that is developed over, over a few years is, is so strong, and I think it's one of the, it's one of the things that has been really uh, helpful in my business now with producers. When a client comes to me or a potential client comes to me, I can... I can listen to my gut and and do a 
a little internal check and I I'll, I'll know pretty quickly whether or not it, it makes sense to, to work with that brand or to mm-hmm. help them or to know how to shift their product so we can find find that success. It's so funny you, you talk about that. There's somebody here in Madison who is, uh, I always tell people, is a great example of one of these buyers who, he was a buyer at um, Famous foot, Footwear here, was headquartered mm-hmm. here in Land's mm-hmm. End, was headquartered here. And then he he decided, now, boy, I, I bet this was like 2002, something like that, that mm-hmm. he was going to open something he was calling Fromogenation, and it's going to be this really high-end cheese store, and yep. he's going to put it right on the square of Madison. So this is right uh-huh. around the Capitol, which at the time had, had like the first condo building was being built. Yeah. Like it was dead down there. Yeah, and he was wow. Yeah, and yeah. he was saying, I'm going to sell um, cheese that's going to cost, you know, people are going to pay $28 a pound for. And we were in the yeah. cheese industry looking at him like, what the hell? What does he <laughs> think he's doing? And then I was like, yeah, but he was one of those guys at Land's End who knew that people are going to, women are going to want green purses next year, even before they knew yeah. they wanted green purses. And yeah. He started that thing, and it's been a wonderful success, and it was really an wow. anchor for a lot of the redevelopment that happened. I mean, it, he, he was just so far that's ahead. Awesome. And yeah. that that's what you're talking about. Like, people who have really good buyers have these instincts about what the consumer is going to want, even before yep. a consumer could even articulate it. Totally, totally. And it, it's not to say that buyers don't research and study trends and know what's happening in the industry and in their categories. They do. Buyers, at the end of the day, buyers are numbers people, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, most buyers love spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. You can't see me, but I'm, like, literally raising my hand right now. I love a good spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. But that, that gut can't be denied. Um, it's really, really powerful. You shared that was a great example that you shared um, from what? What is it called? From Modination. From Modination is the name of the store, yeah. and people cool. have tried to get him to franchise it over the years, yeah. and he's like, "Nope, this is meant to be a, a local business right here. I'm happy with what it yeah. is." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. He called it "Artisan Cheese and Perfect Companion." So, so uh, yeah, that's a great tagline. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. Yeah, everything about that. it is beautiful. And and he's he was really part of helping showcase some of the artisanal cheeses ma- being made mm-hmm. over the years sure. in Wisconsin, too, because we were not really known for artisanal cheese. We were kind of commodity land. And right. he's yep. part of yep. what helped change that out here. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I want to go I want to go back to something though, Tara. Yeah. So please. We we were talking about this idea of the buyer having that gut reaction and you know I shared I shared the example that a brand could walk in and show mm-hmm. me their product line and I would I would know um, but I want to say two things here one I have been wrong so right. I have definitely placed you know it is a betting game I have I have placed incorrect bets and so there are absolutely brands who pit, who pitched to me way back when and I said, no, I'm like, you know, <laughs> not the right fit. And sure enough, here they are 15 years later, mm-hmm. like, you know, Whole Foods National flying off the shelf. 
So, you know, I, I will say that buyers can be wrong. Absolutely. Um, buyers also know their store really well. And I think one of the, one of the key things, especially for producers, is realizing that just because a buyer says no to your product doesn't mean that your product isn't going to succeed as a whole. It just means that you're not the right fit for their store or not the right fit at the, at that exact time or the, you know, not the right fit for that category or, or whatever it is. So I think it is really important to realize that not every product is great for every wholesale account. And when the buyer says no, like a really hard no, like the full stop no, the producer should just move along, mm-hmm. you know, move along to the next account um, right. because it's not worth trying to convince a really, really stubborn buyer that you're going to be a great fit if the buyer doesn't doesn't feel the same way. Um, do you think yeah, that so, in yeah. the current retail environment, do you think that um, a brand's willingness to promote is affecting the buyer's decisions more yeah. than it used to? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think it's hard because previously, you know, when I was in a buyer role, a, a brand could say, I can promote through two demos a month for the first three months. And that would be great. Like, I would be thrilled if a brand could promise that. Mm-hmm. And now I think we're seeing, we're seeing promotion really tied to, you know, um, price reductions and, and, you know, paid promotion. And I think that it's, it's tough because it's, I mean, as you know, it's really hard for emerging brands to have much of a budget to do, you know, sales and discounts and, and all of those, all of that marketing spend that that can really add up. So unfortunately, I do think that there, there are bigger stores that are really looking for those brands to pay to play on their shelf. But um, luckily, you know, there's still lots of independence and lots of lots of specialty stores where that that promotion really could look more like a um, um, demo strategy and staff education and things like that. Right, right. I just yeah. I think that I, I, I had this feeling when I went to Expo West this year, I was like, or mm-hmm. last year, I was like, oh, my God, I'm really glad I didn't launch Tara's Way now because yeah. I, I, compared to when I launched, like the amount of competition and clutter and all of those things, it's like to, to break through all that, you really do have to promote. I yeah, think. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's. I think it's one of the... One of the things that producers don't realize, or or maybe they realize in theory, but then they don't actually execute it, mm-hmm. is that just because you build a really fantastic product doesn't mean that sales will come. Like sales, it's hard to change consumer behavior, and it's really hard to capture sales. And so you have to market and promote your product if you want to get it if you want to get those purchasers. And that's just the reality of it, right? Like, right. I always, I always think about, you know, if you build it, they will come and how that is just the worst business advice because it's simply not true. Like right. we have to promote the heck out of our products to make, you know, to change consumer behavior. Right, right. 
Right. So because you know you are like this fount of knowledge about about what it takes to get your products in a in a store and selling that th- when you decided that you didn't like managing a store, which I can just <laughs> I can't even, like imagine what it would be like to because you would have like, I don't know how many employees in a store be a oh, lot. God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So at Deviz, we opened the store with about I think it was about 85 employees mm-hmm. and we, and so a th- 3,000 square foot store, we opened with about 85 employees and really quickly we realized that we had totally under projected our numbers. Mm. And it was really interesting because we actually hired a, a research firm to evaluate the neighborhood and, you know, assess our 18th street sales versus what we were projecting over on Deviz. And we really, I mean, spent a lot of time, a lot of money to make sure that we knew the neighborhood and the demographic and the shopper behaviors and and all of that, right? There's so much that goes into opening a store. And this wonderful team that we worked with, who had such a great um, track record of Mm. (laughs) being spot on in their predictions, totally, totally underestimated our sales. And so we scrambled so quickly to hire more staff. And um, yeah, at the end, we, I think when I left, we had about 115, 120 employees. Whoa. Yeah, because yeah. you're open. I mean, the thing about grocery, right? You're, you got to be open all the time. You have to have staff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so we were open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., 363 days <laughs> of the year. And we were closed on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, like, I mean, I just, my heart goes out to anyone who works retail, anyone who is, you know, customer facing and hospitality. It is, it is hard. It is a really hard job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was managing DeViz and my then Beyonce at the time was managing by right 18th street mm. and we were just, we were like ships passing in the night. <laughs> right. We, um, we would never see each other. No. And we, we are both Ian and I, Ian's my husband now, Ian and I are both the type of people who are, go all in mm-hmm. on our jobs. And so we would come home and, you know, have a meal together. And I would say like, oh, well, this is working at the biz, like, but I'm, you know, we're kind of stuck here. Like, what's working at 18th Street? Like, do you have any tips? Like, how can I change this thing? And we would just, you know, we were like living and breathing by right and come home, we would come home and spend all of our time Mm -hmm. thinking about retail. I mean, I loved it so much, but, um, you know, we, it was too much. At some point, we realized that it was, it was, we had to get a little bit of our, our life back. Um, so so by, we actually, we both, le- we both left by right. You did. Okay. That was going to be my yeah. question. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We did. And it was, it was really funny because I, I remember so clearly like strategizing with Ian about how we were going to give notice because <laughs> no, they knew no. like when one of us, one of us gave notice, the other one would as well. And so we, we scheduled our meetings on the very same day <laughs> and um, at the very same time, you know, Ian was meeting with. Sam and I was meeting with the director of operations and, um, you know, they, they knew, but mm-hmm. we, we had a long run there. It was, it was good. 
That's awesome. Well, yeah. and what a great place to learn what you've learned, right? I mean, it's just trial by fire, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so grateful for my time at Byright. And I, I sometimes think back, like, you know, what if I hadn't done, what if I hadn't come over to Byright and done grocery and you know, where would I be now? It would be a very, a very different path. Um, very different. Yeah, yeah. When I left, when I left Byright, I did a lot of consulting for other grocery stores. Mm. And I originally, I spent a couple of years doing work with other grocery departments, helping them get their buying team set up, helping them understand how to manage and track inventory, how to execute category reviews how to do product assortment and merchandising. And so it was it was really great to go from from Byright to the behind the scenes of other stores and seeing how, you know, the other other ways that people managed grocery departments and mm-hmm. and what was going on um, not just in my San Francisco bubble. Mhm. Mhm. So yeah. you were doing that nationally then or regionally? Or? Yeah. Yeah, so mostly on the West Coast but mm-hmm. had a couple smaller accounts on the East Coast. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really, it was really fantastic to do that. But I realized, I, I realized that it really was the producers who needed the most help. And, right. you know, while I could go into a grocery department and help them, you know, put their systems in place and, and really make sure that they had their, you know, their operations dialed in, the, the people who needed the most help were those producers who were just trying to get to the shelf and trying to dial in their their buyer pitch and trying to connect with those wholesale accounts and Mm -hmm. so at the same time as I was doing this this retail consulting I was doing the producer consulting and I'll be honest with you when I when I left Byright I wasn't sure I wasn't sure how I was going to make it work financially you know Mm -hmm. producers don't have that much money I mean, I know that. Um, and the retail, the retail clients were one of the ways that I could keep myself financially afloat while I was figuring out how to best serve the producer clients of mine. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so then your consulting firm just evolved more and more toward the producer <laughs> side? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. And so what I what I realized, and this is, it's all hindsight, right? Like, right, I right. Look back at some of these things, and I'm like, oh man, like, right. Why thinking? did it take me so long to figure this <laughs> Why out? Did it take right. So long. Yes. And so what I realized was I was talking to too broad of an audience. I was trying to appeal to both the retail owners and managers and the producers of packaged products. And so, you know, my messaging was that I could do both because I truly, I truly could. Mm -hmm. And I loved it doing both, but I realized that I was doing a disservice to myself by having too broad of an offering and, and trying to speak to a bigger audience. And, you know, it's, as I, as I had this realization, it was, it was such a light bulb moment to me because it's exactly what I teach mm. my clients. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. narrow your target audience mm-hmm. and your sales will grow. And, you know, it's, I'm just, you can hear me laughing to myself because it was, it was so obvious in hindsight that I had to choose a channel and my passion 
the reason why I left Byright was to help producers. Mm -hmm. It was not to run grocery departments, which was, you know, I should have just stayed at Byright if I wanted to do that. Um, So I, I would say, gosh, so in year three of my consulting, so almost, yeah, almost four years ago, I, um, I tapered off the retail consulting and put a stake in the ground and said that I was going to focus solely on producers because that's really where I could have the biggest impact in the industry. And um, is that about when yeah. you started Retail Ready? Yeah. So I started, let's see, I started Retail Ready in year three. So okay. you're right. So I spent I spent those first two years of my consulting working you know, with the retail clients and working with producers one-on-one. And I saw over and over again that these producers had the same problems. They were all struggling with some variation of the same themes in their business. And, you know, going back to this idea that producers don't have a lot of money, they don't have a lot of time to figure this out. They only have so much bandwidth, like mental and emotional bandwidth. I was like, I need to find a way to support more producers at a lower price point and and really help move the needle in the in this industry and i realized that the best way for me to do that was by grouping producers together and offering them a a course mm-hmm. and so and so i created retail ready based off you know all of that one-on-one experience and launched it yeah gosh i'm going into year 4 of it now so i i launched it in um, January of 2016. So yeah, it's just going into year four now. Um, and I've had over 250 brands take retail ready and it, you know, it helps producers who are already in production understand how to find more success on wholesale shelves. So mm-hmm. how to get on the shelf, how to talk to buyers, how to do promotional strategies that support your brand. And how to how to really nurture those wholesale accounts that that take a while to to land and and um and grow. Mm-hmm. And so, how does your course work? How does Retail Ready work? Or how yeah, did how did question. it in the beginning, and then how's it now? Because I bet it's yeah. evolved over time. It has evolved. Yeah, it has evolved. Um, absolutely. We just did a big big revamp of all the course materials uh-huh. um, and and refreshed everything because. You know, like the industry changes so rapidly. Sure. It's, it's really, it's important to keep up to date on that stuff. But um, so when I first, let me talk, let me tell you how it works now. Okay. So, um, so it's an online course. And when you enroll in Retail Ready, you get access to 12 modules that help you grow your brand. So I talk about it. The way my theory in growing brands is that it requires a three-step process. So first, we have to attract the right audience to our brand. We have to make sure that we know who we're talking to, mm-hmm. just like I, I had that experience in my own business. We know who we're talking to. We know why they love our brand. We know where they're shopping and you know um, why they're our biggest fans. And we pick the channels that are aligned with our target audiences. So we mm-hmm. figure out who that audience is and where they're shopping. And then, you know, you decide, okay, I'm going to focus on brick and mortar specialty and I'm going to do Amazon sales or, you know, whatever it is. You go Mm -hmm. to your person. So we attract the right audience 
And then in Retail Ready, I coach brands on how to perfect their pitch. So how to, how to speak the language of wholesale, how to connect with those buyers, how to get samples in those buyers' hands to guarantee that buyer actually tastes your product, how to follow up afterwards, how to create all these promotional materials like a beautiful sell sheet and an effective price list and all of that stuff that you need to support your brand. So that's in the pitching section of Retail Ready. And then the mm-hmm. final step in growing brands is what I call like the grow phase, which is working with brokers, working with distributors, mm-hmm. executing trade shows and in-person marketing, understanding the basics of digital marketing to make sure that you're capturing all of those online leads um, and really thinking about the next step with your brand. Like once you have, once you understand how to get on the shelf, understanding that then getting off the shelf and expanding your sales is, you know, just as challenging, if not more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Retail Ready, we cover all of that through our 12 modules. So when you enroll, you get access to a private course platform, and you can work through those modules at your own pace. And this is a really big thing that I shifted. So when I first started Retail Ready, I did it as a live course where we had, you know, 15 brands at a time come in, everybody started on the same day, everybody ended on the same day, and we did it as a six-week live course. And I was finding over and over again that producers, you know, producers are busy, so they would come in and, of course, of course, something would come up, you know, something would come up in week three and they would miss a live call or something would come up in week four and they would get behind on a lesson. And it was really hard to catch up once producers got behind. And so, so I shifted the, the delivery of the course and put everything on this course platform and shifted it to lifetime access of the course materials and that self-paced core course content so that producers could go at their own rate. So sometimes I see people come in and they binge it, you know, like Netflix right, style, right. get it all done in two weeks. But my recommended pace is that you do one module a week, which right. would take you 90 days to get through. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that we, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, but I feel like nowadays we consume so much content and the, and it's really tempting to consume and consume and consume and think that that's really productive Mm -hmm. and that that is growing our business. But the reality is that it's, it's the implementation that grows our business. Right. So, um, I see these, I see these brands come into retail ready and just try to crank through the course content without taking the time to implement. Mm -hmm. And those are the brands who then, you know, circle back six months later and say like, oh, shoot, you know, I really do need to come back to this, this, this module and implement the lessons that I learned. Um, yeah, yeah so it's really, it's, yeah. it's so funny because, uh, you know, we do these raising equity courses and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way early in the curve. I haven't been doing this for four years. We just started it this year and we too yeah. started it with me um, live on the course and yep. in the in the world of like raising money, if you don't do stuff, you don't raise money, right? Like, yeah, and yeah. and I so I look at this. I have the same thing, right? Where people are like, "Well, I'll just sit in the course," and then suddenly they're gonna, and you can't, like, you no, know, there's no. a lot of work you got to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I always say that with Retail Ready, that I give you all of the tools that you need to mm-hmm. find success in wholesale, but I can't make you do the work for you. Right. I can't do the work for you. And, you know, I have these, I have these wonderful, wonderful success stories out of Retail Ready, but, and they're the brands who show up and do the work and come to our live calls. I'll mm-hmm. talk about those in a second, but like the ones who, the ones who actually take responsibility for growing their brands are the ones who, who find success. And, you know, Tara, I know that sounds so obvious, but I think it's, it's so important to reiterate that, that mm-hmm. this culture that we have of consuming content and thinking that that is productive um, is, really, is really challenging. Right. I think it's a tough spot for us to be in. Right. Um, well, and I think, I think, you know, I think about, I was, so my dad um, went year, years ago, so this is like 40 years ago, he started mm-hmm. making Windsor chairs and he would do them all by hand and, you know, bend mm-hmm. the wood over wood stove and stuff. And he and I were talking about it and he's like, you know, back when I did that, there were no books about this. You couldn't go on yeah. the internet and look about it. Like this was something I had to find people who used to make them to, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yes. and now it's just like, you can just look at your phone and do how to make a Windsor chair and sit there and look at yeah. it. Right. It, and, and you're right, like the content is all out there, but then you still got to make the Windsor chair, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I love that analogy. And I, you know, I am guilty of this myself. I, so one of my favorite things to do is walk my dog and listen to a podcast. Right. I, I love listening to podcasts and I'll, I'll be out walking Toby and of course I'm not sitting at a desk and taking notes and, and really, really absorbing the content, but I'll get all these great ideas and I'm inspired and I, you know, I'm walking an extra lap around the block because I want to finish the episode. And then I get back home and I don't do any of the things don't do anything different. The podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I'm like, well, that, I mean, not to say it's a waste of time because I do think inspiration is very important. But um, when I when I realized I was doing this, I I shifted and I now will listen to podcasts at my desk or I'll hmm. listen to podcasts while I'm tidying up my house. And I have a little notebook out where I'm actually writing down to do's and takeaways from the episodes. And that small act of of you know, and I'll still listen to podcasts while I walk Toby, but that small act of being more intentional mm-hmm. about the consumption of educational content has really allowed me to to like use all of these free tools um, and and use them to make changes in my business mm-hmm. that have really been, you know, led to some really successful things, which has mm-hmm. been really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um yeah. Mm. And I think and one of the, uh, to be a food company, I mean, I remember I used to be in a CEO group and I had, I was surrounded by a bunch of academics in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I had this like epiphany. These are people who grew companies to, you know, half a, 
500 million in sales and stuff. And I'm interacting yeah. with these people personally. And I'm thinking, you know what? These are doers. That's what they do. Like they don't, yeah. they don't, they don't, I mean, they think about things all the time, but they don't like ruminate over things, right? Yeah. And they're not, they're, yeah. they just implement, implement, <laughs> implement, right? It's such yes. a different thing about business, yeah, business it's, leaders. It's totally true. And, you know, sometimes I'll have, I'll have peers or other consultants or, you know, ask me how I do so much. Like, why, like how am I creating so much content and doing so many things in my business? I'm like, well, it's, it's just because I decide to do it. Right. I don't sit around and, and you know, I'll certainly like weigh the options of launching a new product or, you know, new educational thing or, you know, I, gosh, I sat on launching my own podcast for a good year before I, I did mm-hmm. it. But at the end of the day, like you've got to take action. Otherwise it's just, you know, otherwise right. you stay stuck. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. the thing about our, our, courses, right, that we both experience, that the people have the most success are the people who are taking action all the time. And and structuring, like, I don't don't make people do a bunch of silly exercises. Like, every Mm -hmm. exercise is something in their business, and I'm sure you're doing that, too. But they have to actually do it. Like, I can't, yeah, there's no substitute for the doing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And one of the, this sounds almost counterintuitive, but one of the things that we did in the course overhaul and the refresh that that we did in 2019 was eliminating a fair amount of the course content because mm-hmm. I was finding that there was, I mean, and I'll say I did, I love the first version of Retail Ready and I still stand by how strong it was. But I realized that at the end of the day, the the ultimate goal of retail ready is to have these producers find more success in wholesale. So Mm -hmm. anything that wasn't directly related to that, we cut out of the course and we have found that it has made a world of difference for the, I think we've had, I think we had 96 brands join in 2019. Mm. So we had this year, 2019, we saw brands have success so much faster mm. because that that any of that extra fluff was cut out of the course. Right. So like you said, Tara, the stuff that they're implementing is the stuff that actually moves the needle, needle. in their business. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's not – one of the things that I've found, too, is that there's not a lot of good um, – learning opportunities for people that is really practical about mm-hmm. about going into wholesale like you like you do right there this yeah. is a world of tactical skills like you mentioned they they you know buyers have an old vic- they have a big vocabulary that nobody knows <laughs> outside of the world yeah. right like it's and you can't go to generic training anywhere and get that it's very specific no and i I'll say this too, and I say it in the nicest way, but a lot of the other wholesale resources are from producers, from the producer side of things. Mm-hmm. And and that's great. That perspective is so valuable. However, that producer was never a buyer. And so I think they can only speak to, to their experience and, and mm-hmm. what worked for them. And I think some of the other trainings have some some holes where it's missing the the buyer perspective. So I love I love being the person who fills in yeah. that perspective because it's 
it's really hard to get a buyer to to talk to you. So yeah, no, <laughs> I absolutely. Love being a buyer who talks. Yeah. yeah, and they don't have time, and they don't have, and they, yeah. they, you know, the world of retail has changed so much. Their jobs have changed so much. They don't have time yeah. to do anything anymore. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I always say is that I, I see so many brands who who think that they're going to get critical feedback from the buyer mm-hmm. and they think that they will bring you know a I don't want to say a half-baked idea but like a an idea that's maybe 75 percent of the way there to the buyer to that buyer meeting and that buyer will tell them what changes yeah. to make mm-hmm. to be successful on the shelf and you know while at the beginning we talked about how I, I did have the opportunity to do that at buy right buyers don't do that like when you pitch to a buyer you have to be 100% dialed in. You mm-hmm. have to, there cannot be any any room for, um, you know, for the unknown. You've got to know your pricing strategy and your promotional strategy. Your packaging has to be 100% perfect. You know, the buyer doesn't have time to give you feedback and help and help you make business decisions for your own product line. That just doesn't happen. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So, um, the one-on-one calls. So we should talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we did when we, when we switched retail ready, instead of this live course module model to the 12 mod modules on our course platform, I added in a few things. So now we have once a month, we do a live group coaching call with me where any retail ready student can submit a question ahead of time. Everybody comes on the call. It's really fun. Um, people show up on video. Fun. And we mm-hmm. dive deep into individual producers' questions, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's it's so, it's, it's one thing to take the course and go through the course content. And, you know, by all means, that is enough. But that one-on-one back and forth with me on these group calls is so, it's so fun and it's so valuable because we can really dive into the nuances of, of your own business and you know where where each brand is stuck in their own own personal challenges. So we do that once a month, and then once a month I bring in an industry expert. Um, Tara, I've got to have you come on. Yeah, on no, I'm thrilled to do it. Um, but so I bring in PR experts, brokers, you know, food industry lawyers, um, financial experts, you know, all sorts of people in the industry who have an area of expertise outside of what I focus on. And so same exact thing, retail, any retail ready students can join those calls um, and they come in and submit questions and we talk through, we talk through any other aspect of, of their business where they're stuck. Um, the call that we ha- just had last week actually was with a woman who owns a national demo company. Mm, so she nice. came in and she, yeah, it was awesome. She came yeah. in and she talked about how to, measure um, your return on investment for your demos, how to set up a brand ambassador program. She talked about um, how to how to use demos beyond the obvious of just sampling to your consumers. I mean, it was really, it was a great call. I really loved it. Nice. Um, so we do that. And then we have an online Facebook group um, where all of our students are in there. I'm in there. My assistant's in there uh, Monday through Friday. And we answer any student questions in the group, but that's also where students connect with one another. 
Mm. And that in itself is, is so powerful because, you know, we had, I'll give this example. We had a student in there a couple months ago and she was saying, you know, she was talking about connecting with Whole Foods and how she had submitted for the category review and hadn't heard back and, you know, had, or had gotten a little bit of positive feedback, but it had been a couple months and she wasn't sure how to follow up. And sure enough, we had another retail ready student in the group who said, you know, like, oh, you're, you're in Houston, right? Like, Mm-hmm. I know the, I know the Houston local forager for Whole Foods. Like, have you connected with them? Like, that would be the next step for your, you know, to get an, an update on your category review. And sure enough, they shared that forager contact information. Mm-hmm. She followed up, and now she's launching into Whole cool. Foods this month. Yeah, it's awesome. All because of that one, that one Facebook post. That's so cool. And yeah, and so is that is that group that is just every I'm how to say this because you because yeah, so it's, it's evergreen the group students. it's it's yeah, exactly. any student yep. at any time yep. yeah okay exactly and so it's really cool because we see students who took in that group who took retail ready three years ago and so they hmm. are I love it because they're not only an example of what success can look like. Mm-hmm. But they they can help guide our students too. You know, mm-hmm. if a, a new student comes in and says like, "What did you wish you knew three years ago when you were like just getting going with your brand?" You know, there's some some powerful conversations happening around that. Um, and what's so neat is that we see these students come back in. You know, again, like maybe having taken retail ready two three years ago, and they come back to us and they say here I am two years later, and now I'm onboarding with UNFI. I've yeah. got a question about this specific word in the onboarding paperwork. Like, mm. what does this, what does this phrase mean, and mm-hmm. how do I fill out this form? Right. And it's so neat, because I'm, I'm like, all right, I haven't even, not to say I haven't thought about you in three years, but like, I, you know, we haven't had any personal connection mm-hmm. in a couple of years, because you've been off doing your you know, your own thing with your business, but then for them to come back into the group and, and to see to see them still find value years later um, is really, really powerful. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I love it. I, that, that's I, awesome. Are you, yeah, so do you do some great. one-on-one work too, consulting? Like if somebody says, yeah, God, I really need, I need more help. What <laughs> do you do, what do, you do yeah. then? Yeah. Yeah. So... So the way it works now is I require, if someone wants to work with me one-on-one, I require them to take retail ready first Yeah. because what I was finding, and you, you maybe have seen this too, Tara, where I had, you know, wonderful brands convince me that they didn't need retail ready. Right. And I, I would believe them, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to, I want to take people at face value and believe them. And so we would, get into a one-on-one engagement. And then sure enough, we would be in week two or three and we would sit down for our meeting and I'd be like, oh shoot, like you just really need retail ready. Ready, yeah. I, (laughs) um, I, you know, I designed this program based off years of one-on-one consulting and I know it works, Mm -hmm. right? I am so confident in retail ready. And so I, you know, I'm laughing now because, you know, I would have these brands who would convince me that they didn't need retail ready. And then sure enough, they did. So, so now when I take on one-on-one clients, I require that they take retail ready 
first. Mm -hmm. And then if they want more individualized support moving out of retail ready, we can move into a one-on-one package. And that is really fantastic for both sides. One, they can, they can get to know me and their, and my style of, of teaching and coaching, and they can decide if they want to engage in a one-on-one right, package right. with me. Um, you know, they can like test drive my course material. Um, and I then know their brand so well, and I'm, and I'm better positioned to give them advice mm-hmm. on their business because I, I, I've been working with them for a couple of months. Um, and I feel like it makes our one-on-one time so much more powerful um, and so much more effective because we have that base, that baseline of, of um, working together and getting on the same page about those, those, those wholesale concepts that I, that I teach. Right. Um, well, so and I there's just one some, on one. yeah, yeah, they just, I'm just trying to like in thinking about the, with raising money, there's just this, I call it infrastructure stuff. Like you have to mm-hmm. deal with that. And when, when I was, I too developed my my training because I was watching myself go through the same process with everybody over and over and mm-hmm. over again yeah. and going, this is yeah. not efficient for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think about it too, and I think this is what you're alluding to, like we can grow a brand, but if they don't have the systems in place to support that growth, mm-hmm. it's, I don't want to say it's not worth it, but you know, we're going to find problems down the line. So totally. if they don't have a way of managing their buyer contacts or if they don't have their pitch templatized in a way or, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have their their account onboarding, you know, streamlined, they're really going to have to do a lot of backpedaling mm-hmm. once they once they really scale. So yeah, um, yeah, and it gets in yeah, the way. It sounds, it, and the it, money... it sounds like our courses are really similar mm-hmm. in that, that like, realizing that the foundation is so key. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, and then I guess, you know, the good news and bad news about money is it's really black and white. Either have it or you don't, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, so we know if there's success and not, that much we we can tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful that you do the, the money side of things because I'll say, like, one of the things that we did cut out in Retail Ready was the module on financials because I was finding that, you know, obviously the financials are so, so important to Mm -hmm. a brand. So often we find that people come into retail ready and they have, they realize that they have just built a really, really expensive hobby, but they're not actually, they haven't actually built a business. Yeah. And originally in retail ready, we would do a financial module, but I found that, that was doing a disservice to mm-hmm. my students by by almost I, how should I say it I, almost alluding to the fact that they could get their financials dialed in in one module mm-hmm. was I mean that was really dangerous right because it's not it's not true right um, right so we we took out the financial piece like of course we still talk about margin and and benchmarks and you know promotional stuff. Um, broker and distributor stuff but but we took out the like performa and financial modeling mm-hmm. um because it's such it's, a such a huge topic yeah it's kind of its own topic just kind of like yours yeah. is your own topic too it's just yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge 
It's well, huge. and then I would mm-hmm. find that students would get to the financial module and then they would come back to me and they would ask me these really in-depth financial questions mm-hmm. that I am not qualified to answer. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it was really doing a disservice to my students there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a great example of one of the things that we cut out in yeah. 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so what do you? So now you have a podcast. So you've kind of mm-hmm. that's a, that that's um, sort of related and not, I guess. Yeah, or yeah, talk about exactly. that. Exactly. So it's 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 called Food Biz Whiz, mm-hmm. and we release episodes every Thursday, mm-hmm. and it is a combination. There's three different style episodes on there, and it's all based off the idea of or the, the topic of wholesale um, mm-hmm. for food, beverage, and wellness products. Mm-hmm. So um, I do solo episodes. So myself, just teaching on a topic. Cool. Um, like a recent episode that I did was on why it takes so long to get your product on the retail shelf. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, what is that process? And why does a buyer, what ha- why does it take so long, even when a buyer says that they want to carry your product? Right. So something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do interviews just like this, Tara, yeah. um, with other industry experts. And then we do a series where it's live coaching calls with retail ready students. Oh, and fun. those are really fun because it's almost like being a fly on the wall in one of our of one of our live coaching calls, sure. um, our student coaching calls, where a student can submit a question and, and we dive deep into some strategies for, for solving it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. fun. They're fun. They're yeah. really fun. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I've got the podcast and then the other big fun thing that I launched recently last month is a food biz Whiz quarterly planner and it's a physical planner. Tara, I don't think you've seen this yet because no. it's pretty new, but um, one of the things that I found over and over again is that my students were, they, they set really great goals. But they were failing to, they were falling short of their goals because they didn't have the systems in place mm-hmm. to make progress towards those goals week in and week out. So um, I worked with retail ready students to develop this physical planner. Hmm. Um, and I worked with a designer, I worked with a publisher. I now am the owner of a packaged product, which wow. is like a physical product, which sounds crazy. Um, but I launched the planner a few weeks ago and it's, specifically made for the food industry. So we've talked about trade shows and category reviews and buyer contacts and things like that in the planner. Uh Um, And it's for food business owners and managers to help them set and track and achieve their their business goals. Cool. It's cool. Cool. That is cool. I'm going to bring this up um, and you can edit it out if you want to. But Tara, we haven't talked about the strange coincidence that you and I have and the fact that we went to the same high school. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? No, we should, we can talk. I'm happy to talk about it because it's (laughs) such a, the world is so weird that way, right? Like the universe gives you what you need when you need it. And these weird coincidences, you're just like, so, so yeah. So we want, we both went to the same prep school, which is. Yes, exactly. And the reason why I bring this up and is because when when I attended, we were required to use a physical planner. Yeah. And so I don't know if you had this as well, but 
they literally gave it to us. Yeah. Or I don't know if we had to purchase it or whatever, but you know, every student got this physical planner mm-hmm. and we had to use it to manage our own time. And I remember falling in love with this planner. And you know, I've it's been a couple of decades since I was in right, high school. Right. But um I have used a planner pretty consistently since then. And it has been so, so important to my business success, yeah, like having yeah, yeah. a physical planner and managing my time and mm-hmm. managing my goals. And so I swear that I created the Food Biz Wiz Planner because of our high school physical planner. <laughs> Isn't that great? That, you know, I had decades ago. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, yeah. I too, have had, isn't that funny? I, too, have yeah. had a planner, a, a paper planner. And yep. my, my I, I have a bunch of young people who work for me, which is awesome because mm-hmm. um, I love it. And I still get to have them look at me like I'm from Mars when I come with my paper planner, right? It's like, <laughs> and they're like, well, we need to have it on the in the phone. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. It's not just a calendar. And I don't just look at a day yeah. in it. And if you want to know why, I mean, this is the thing. If you want to know why you and I have accomplished a lot in our lives, it's because we, it's probably because we've managed ourselves right? Exactly. And that, I mean, that is truly what our high school gave me, that ability Mm -hmm. to manage myself and to manage my time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I think about the planner too. And so we've got a lot of training around the planner. Like when people purchase the planner, they get this training package. Cool. And it is, I still love digital calendars and you know I've got a Mm -hmm. digital project management software that I use and you know I am I love digital but there is something that is so powerful about having that tangible planner Mm -hmm. and having that combination between the digital and the analog Mm -hmm. it's it's a really powerful combination Mm -hmm. that is a super exciting thing so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to check this out and and you know in our industry we we have like all kinds of you know specific trade shows we have to be at and keeping mm-hmm. track of different yep. chains and when the category reviews are yep. and, and then that you know then you look at it and go okay well that means if I'm going to go into Whole Food if I do the category rule get accepted that means I need to be in UNFI and that means I need to apply for <laughs> UNFI right like all this yep. this cascade <laughs> of events right that that we now have a way to track that's awesome yeah yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's um, cool. it was a long time coming, but mm-hmm. um, it yeah I and it you know I will tell you the the joy of holding it in my hand Aww. really made me realize like this has got to be how my clients feel when they do their first production run. They like are looking at their professional product, mm-hmm. holding it in their hands. That's such a great feeling. It so is. I, it's awesome. I'm grateful to have that experience now. Cool. That is great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Well, so we've yeah. covered a whole, we've covered a lot. Yeah, Are we, we missing anything or anything else you want to share that oh, I don't know gosh. about? I I think we did pretty well here. Good. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for our time together. I, I feel like the more that I can spread the word about buyer relationships and that that 
the challenges that that come up when you try to expand into wholesale the happier I am. So I, yeah, I can't thank you no. enough for having me on the podcast. Well, I'm 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 thrilled to have you and you're doing um you're working in an area that is just a giant mystery for the people <laughs> who are coming into it. Yeah, and seriously. Um and and you've spent so much time developing terrific um material and I'm sure you. there's gonna be more coming. Yes. Yeah, we've got big things for twenty twenty. So nice. I'm I hope we'll we'll do an update in a couple months. Yes, let's do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.